Bulls to make it 28 to 3. Arthur Blank loving it. Up by 25. Tossed away. He's in. What a comeback. Welcome to another episode of the 28 to 3 podcast. We are a few days removed from the epic shit show that was the Thursday night football game against the Jaguars. Um, so today we're going to do a quick recap of that, and then we'll just give some general thoughts about the Saints moving forward. So Nick is actually on location today, so we'll go ahead and uh, let him start us off. So Nick, go ahead and give us some thoughts about the game and any anything else you want to bring up. Yeah, I think, you know, as far as the game, pretty much on brand for the year so far, especially in the first half. Uh, we saw another groupie missed field goal. We saw an offense that can't convert inside the opponent's 30 over and over and over again. We, you know, in this one, we got behind early, just like we did um, last week, and yeah, I believe in the Tampa game, and had to make that, that gap up. Um, we showed some signs of life on offense in the second half, but, you know, once again, we have all sorts of, you know, players across the entire offense failing in crucial spots. Alave looked disinterested once again. Carr looked sporadic once again. Um, we had a new entry into the shit show group this week with Foster dropping uh, as easy as a touchdown. You can have an opportunity at that inevitably cost us going to overtime. Uh, you know, I think the only positive I can say about the offense over the last, you know, the marginal improvement is that we're actually moving the ball where we weren't the previous three weeks. Um, we did get, you know, a couple touchdowns. One was the most ridiculous effort of four plays from the one yard line, and it took the fourth play and Taysom getting in there. Uh, the Mike Thomas play was an incredible catch. Um, so maybe there's some small signs of light there, but, you know, that's a game with as well as we got into their territory, you got to score 30 when you're moving the ball that well. We dominated time of possession. We we won the turnover battle. We uh, gained them, I think, 75-ish yards. Uh, we, If you look at the stat sheet, you would never believe we lost that game. And somehow yeah. we found a way to do it, executing – Whatever we're doing, call it coaches, call it players, call it a mix of both. Whoever you want to blame, I think it's fair. That's a game you can't lose. You pretty much had every statistical category across the board. Um, so, uh, once again, pretty disappointing. Uh, I would hope our defense stops giving up two early touchdowns like they did against the Texans and the Jags. And I would hope at some point the offense can start freaking getting the ball in the damn end zone. It's, it's just gotten to be ridiculous at this point. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the the four plays from the one yard line. You know, not that anyone gives a shit, but Camaro missing it on three straight cost me a hundred bucks. But I'll leave that at that. Uh, don't, hashtag don't tell us about your parlay. Yeah, no kidding. But uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I actually I went ahead and decided to torture myself last night, and uh, I rewatched basically every offensive series, and it, it, it was just you're right. You said it, Nick. It's like you have to score, and it. It's more conflicting too because it's like I sometimes the play calls look like shit, and I feel like great we're right in saying Carmichael's got to go, and then other times you're kind of like well wait maybe the maybe those plays weren't all that bad like what the hell is going on here? Um, overall, I think it's it goes back to the fact that like we made the car and now like not Derek Carr but we made a vehicle analogy last pod. And the car is just fucking broken. We tried to say transmission. We tried to say different parts of the car. I mean, I hate to say it, but like you, you got to turn it. You, you turn the car in. I mean, maybe you salvage some parts, but like it, we got a lemon. We, you know, I, I started to make that an analogy before, but I was like, ah, eh, maybe it's not a, really a lemon because when it's a lemon, the whole thing goes away. But I'm like, this this thing seems like a lemon uh, right now, and you know. Uh, but Carr, look, rewatching it, Carr made some inexcusable mistakes. So you can't, people who are trying to defend Derek Carr by saying, I'm not calling you out here, Max, but. You know, like, I have never once defended Carr. No, not even lumped me into that group. No, I mean, like, people who are going, like, it's the receivers 
it's Olave, it's not Carr, it's Carmichael, it's not Carr. Uh, he can't. He doesn't have time to throw, so it's not on. It's not on him. No, he completely fucked up in that first half in the third quarter. Uh, but it was compounded because you also then had receivers and even Camara running wrong routes at times. It was just a complete and utter shit show. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean that's what, the best way to put it. You know, we've we've touched on it multiple times over the past three or four weeks. Um, basically, it, it's that blood is on everyone's hands. Yeah. And using the car analogy, it's like that car that caught on fire that you see just on the side of the road that nobody's, you know, the uh, the tow truck hasn't picked you up yet. It's like, like that's our offense right now. But it's it, that burnt to a crisp car that's sitting on the side of the interstate. But it's like it's like it's like seeing uh, a Lamborghini burnt to the burnt to a crisp, because that's at least the hopes that we all had for this offense is like, you know, and I don't think it's hyperbole. I mean, we, we went through in our pre preseason preview just like how many weapons we had going into the season and 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 the Derek Carr we thought we were going to get we all just hopefully hope against hope that he was going to be this John Gruden style Derek Carr and so it's like seeing this beautiful fast ass powerful sports car just burnt to a crisp and you know we saw flashes of that in the second half but it was too little too late I think Lamborghini's a bit optimistic I would have said something like it's a uh you know, it's a Mercedes or, it, you know, it's a lower no, end yeah, Mercedes yeah, I, on the side. <laughs> okay. Maybe Lamborghini's. Like I don't think any of Chiefs. us. I don't think any of us expected something, you know, top level QB, but you know, the one yeah. thing I would say, not defending car, but that the uh, people who are saying uh, it's uh, just uh. a car. <laughs> no, no, no. That it's just a car problem. You're wrong. Cause when he actually is making the throws, we aren't making the plays. And when he's obviously he's missing throws, that's costing us huge. Especially like Corey said in the first half, he missed open people all over the place. There's there's no debating yeah. it. He gets it together, I think, for the most part in the second half. And then Olave's dropping that one inside the red zone at the, the eight or nine yard line on a second and eight. Foster's drop, and then or Kamara running the wrong. I mean, Kamara doesn't make that mistake. We've seen him for you know six seven years now. He's the best in the league at reading that play, and he yeah. immediately said, "My bad." He never does that. And so even when he's doing the right thing, it seems like that's when everyone else decides to do the wrong thing. And there's no, and hey, let's call that, you know, you could maybe even put that on car too, because the communication between everybody isn't on the where it should be right now. But yeah. what I'm saying is when you could make up the difference for what car is lacking when, when he's that and he does make a play and you just drop it or, you know, we miss it. It's frustrating as hell because you think someone on the team could step up and make something happen that could change the outcome of these games. Because these are one-score games, all except for yep. Tampa, right? So these are one, two, three plays away from being a completely different game and overcoming some of the mistakes Carr made this week, especially in the first half, selling for field goals every time. You know, I just think they're the situational part of this team just isn't working. It's It's – someone's making a mistake and it's a different person almost all the time. Yeah. And I, I said this, uh, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't shout out our guys, Saints City and Me podcast. I was a guest on their podcast just a couple of days ago. And uh, we talked a lot about the game. And one thing that I mentioned on their pod, and it's something I thought about post game, is that, you know, I think this is just bigger than X's and O's for our guys. And look, I know that sounds very cerebral, very meta, but like, when you mentioned Carr kind of getting back within his own game when we did the hurry up and him looking just completely out of sorts in the first half, it's like we're pressing so much as an offense. I think everybody, and look, I know these guys are professionals, but I think everybody's in everybody's heads. Uh, it's like, like in Top Gun, the, the original one, if you think, you're dead. And I think Carr is, especially as the QB, is overthinking the shit out of so many of these play calls, so many of these audibles, you know, now that doesn't explain why he's making some of these like seemingly first read check down passes where he's hitting the third step of his drop and they're just hitting the the check down first, not going through his progressions. But it, it's like he's in his own head too much in the first half. He's worried about the pass rush. He's bailing out before he should bail out. And then when he does get the ball off, he's like trying to place it in there with too much touch, like one of those passes to Alave was just, if he'd have zipped it in there, it would have been fine. He put too much touch on it and it floated. It, you know, Alave should have caught it. Yeah. But, 
you know, and but juxtaposed to the second half and, and the hurry up or really the fourth quarter when it, there's no time to think, you know, you're just in a, in a, a dog fight with a bunch of MiG 28s at that point. And, and Quick you're question, Corey, for you. Yeah. Uh, based on that, what you're just saying, because there's something I wanted to talk about. Go ahead. Do you think we should just start going quick the whole game? Yeah, I don't see why not. I mean, some offenses have that as their base offense. It's not like everyone wants to call it a hurry up. I mean, call it whatever the fuck you want to call it. Just run it. You know, Eric McCoy, who's one of your biggest boys on the team, is saying, if that's what we have to do, then that's what we have to do. And if anybody's going to be sucking wind running a hurry up offense, it's your goddamn center. Okay. So if your center is the one saying, let's go, then let's go. You know, what? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. And and right now, at least that offense, besides the debacle that happened uh, at the end of the game with not getting the ball into the end zone to tie the game with four plays to do it. Now, granted, we ran one that was a good play call for a touchdown. Uh, they they had a missed assignment. There were two defenders on the wide receivers, so they it was blown coverage on their part. It wasn't a beautiful play designed by Carmichael. If they if they'd have manned up on everybody, Foster would have been covered too. Uh, we still need better play calling in the red zone. I think that's the one place where the play calling just Carmichael has seemed to shat the bed, no matter how good he is between the twenties. Yeah. And and my issue with that last sequence, the four straight plays where uh, we, we couldn't tie the game at the end. Where the hell was Kamara and Taysom at that point? We had time out. Yeah. We had time. Where's Colin Saunders? I remember. Yeah, exactly. We got down there and I remember looking at the clock thinking, okay, we've actually got plenty of time to do this. We can run the ball if we need to. Like, where the hell was that? They run, you know, multiple passes that are low completion percentage targets. And it's like, what what the fuck are we doing? There's just no yeah. rhyme or reason to the decision making once we get inside the red zone. It goes back to like the the, the Madden style play calling or the high school coach sitting. They're when, just calling plays. Like when high school coaches can stand behind the players in, in the JV games and they've got a little index card and they're like, yeah, run this one, run that one. You know, there's again, there's, there's no cohesiveness. There's no book being written of the offensive play calling like we used to see back in the. the well, it's know. like Kamara said, you're not playing matchups anymore. He they're just it. out yeah. here. They're just out here calling plays. I, lo- I think out of all the quotes, that was my favorite one because yeah. he's. It's like, can we just like you know in baseball, uh, back, especially back in the seventies, eighties, you have like player managers. Uh, let's just like Camara just call the plays. You know, just just put, give him the damn wristband, and and he can, he can bark at everybody from the field. I know that won't happen, but uh, he he can see. Um, you know. Uh, Whenever we post this to YouTube, it's going to be great, you know, because y'all get to see a little behind-the-scenes action. Well, no, it's more I'm just trying to figure <laughs> out how much time he has left, because I know no, he's no, got to no, go I'm, to an event, I'm just, so. I'm, I'm uh, making some light of our uh, I'm good situation here. No, no big rush. All right, well, cool. Why don't we, uh, let's do a little recap, because honestly, this game has been dissected backwards and forwards all over social media, all over the news, all you, over radio. You so, mean you don't want to talk about the third down play again? I the the yeah the now infamous the Olave. I've never seen a third down miss be talked about more. I have seen that life. play broken down so many times, and I've seen literally every explanation for who was at fault or what went wrong. You know, and there's multiple sides of defense on this one. I'm not even touching that one. Like I haven't said a word about that play. I don't intend to say anything about that play. It is what it is. To me, it's indicative of a larger problem. Yes. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm not interested in trying to find out who's at fault on that singular play. Yep. Yeah. Because I'll the reality say, is, shit is broken. I'm, I'm gonna yeah. touch it, Max. I'm gonna touch it. I will it. too. Go, because go, well, hold on. <laughs> go ahead, Nick. Nick, not you the, go first. I'm not gonna touch X's right. and O's though. I, I'll go first too because it has nothing to do with that play. <laughs> that that yeah. reaction on that play is due to a systemic performance by Alave and how he's Ooh. where his effort level is. In my opinion, there is no way Carr is undressing there for lack of effort. And you can say the play was designed for him. It wasn't. It was designed for Taysom underneath. You can say whatever you want. Everybody can break it down however they want. I get it. He did not do what he was supposed to do regardless. So why is everyone, the people who are super upset about Carr's reaction, I don't understand that and saying it's not leadership. Like, Olave, you know, they're like, he's a second-year receiver. Are we worried about Olave's feelings? Because he seems to have a lot of them, and he seems to kind of be in them all the time and sometimes is in the game, sometimes not. We've talked about this for four straight weeks now. At what point is he going to start doing his job the way everyone expects him to and to honor the talent that he has because he's such 
a dynamic player if he's given max effort. So I'm, I'm I don't have much of a yeah. problem with that. Anyway. I'm glad that that was your take. This is like vintage 28 to three because I don't disagree with you 100%, but I do my take on it, which was again, not X's and O's, but I'm not saying, I don't think that one play is enough to say that quote, Derek Carr is not a leader end quote, but I will say this. Everything you said about Olave is correct, Nick. There is a there is a systemic issue with clearly with uh, Carr and Olave being on the same page. Whether it's their attitudes to, towards each other, uh, shit. Maybe they're boys outside the locker room, and then they just don't jive inside the locker room. But but here's my take. <laughs> I highly doubt that. I know. I, I highly doubt it either. <laughs> but here's my here, here's here's where I here's here's where I stand on it. Um, yes. Carr had reason to not not a right, but a reason to be upset the as upset as he was with whatever it was going on inside Olave's head on that play. That said, if he doesn't have the reaction that he has on that play, if he just sucks it up and walks to the sideline and then maybe gets in Olave's face where he knows the cameras can't see him, or like subtle or just like when I say gets in his face, like talks to him close enough to where you can't see Derek Carr's facial expressions. But if he just walks to the sideline on that play, we're not talking about it nearly as much as we're talking about it. It's purely because, I mean, it was a great example of how, how bad the miscommunication has been. And it would have absolutely been talked about as in, holy shit, how did this play go this wrong? But if Derek Carr just acts, like just holds it in and goes to the sideline, and then deals with it. It is a completely different story. It is not getting dissected as much as, as it should. And the only other thing I got on that is like, so as a leader, you can have fuck ups. Like you can have instances where you uh, faltered and, and, you know, had a my bad moment. You know, Breeze had many a moments, maybe didn't get that livid on the field, but like Breeze had moments where you're like, that wasn't a very leadership type thing to do. You have lapses in leadership but if you're Derek Carr I'm sorry man you you got to keep it more under control than what you did I'm not saying you don't have a reason to be upset but as the face of the offense you've got to keep more composure than you did in that situation yeah and and here's another way to look at it if if we're you know what are we right now we're 3 and 4 if we're 5 and 2 at this point people are going to look at that situation and say oh that's great leadership but the fact that well, Carr is game. right. Yeah. But the fact that Carr is playing losing football right now, and the team is playing losing football right now, the narrative is flipped on its head, and it's he's being an asshole, and he's yeah. he's he's going about it the wrong way. You know what I mean? It's yeah. always yeah. it's always like if you're winning, that changes everyone's perspective on everything. Oh, I'll give you a case in point, and yes, this is a, a Georgia football reference, but it was in the national championship game where. Uh, I believe was it Roquan or uh, no? It was Nicobe Dean. Nicobe Dean in the national championship against Alabama. Uh, you know there was a play where one of his uh, whether weak side or strong side linebackers just completely missed a, uh, an assignment, and the play didn't go for a touchdown, but it could have. And you, and they they talked about it on screen. Nicobe Dean is like flipping out worse than Carr did on his linebacker. He is in his face, face mask to face mask. And they literally looked at that example and said, look at this leadership. He's coaching up his player. He, and then the next play, the guy did the right play. The guy was right on his guy and broke up a third down, saved a touchdown. And everyone's like, the Kobe Dean, the leader. Right. And, and that's and because it, it, Kobe Dean performed in every game exactly. he ever played at Georgia. Yeah. So. Well, and, and it was winning football. It was on a winning team. Right. right. And, and so, yeah, but and, Carr's got to suck it up. I'm sorry. You can't be a baby on the football field. But I'm not saying that he was in the wrong. But even if you're right, that's the difference between a breeze and a car. When you're right, you know you're right. You don't have to go make the whole world know you're right and flip out like a child on national TV just to prove it. Just just be right and move on. Well, I do remember a breeze flipping out on Jeremy Shockey in a very yeah. uh, animated let's call it discussion yeah. on the sideline. Well, I got captured by the TV. And at least he was on the sideline, you know, like it's yeah. now look again, no one here is defending. I'm not defending Carr. Like I think, I think Carr is, he's, he's, he's out of here at the latest. 
after next season when that contract becomes more palatable to uh, get rid of. Maybe even sooner, man, because, uh, you know, the Saints have never been afraid to cut bait on a player if they see it's a massive mistake. Junior Gallette being the prime example. They signed him to a massive extension. The next year he was gone and we had to eat the uh, the cap charge. So if they look at it and say, <laughs> hey, this guy's not the answer. We need to get him out of here. He'll be gone. Dude, if Derek Carr ends up in the Junior Gallette bucket of cut bait, that this is going to be a real long season. Yeah, and look, <laughs> one thing, one issue I have with, with the way we're all – when I say we, I'm talking about the uh, the Saints community as a whole, you know, and that's that's across all methods of social media, like the- radio, TV, everything. It's like we're all getting granular with the every single play. Like on this single play, this person is at fault. And on this single play, this person is at fault. You know, we all have our horses in the race. Corey touched on that yesterday or the other day on the uh, St. City Me podcast. You know, everyone has their guy that they pick on. Everybody has their guy that they prop up. You know, and it's all different ones, but the two primary ones recently on the player standpoint have been Carr and Olave because it's the easiest to pick on them. We're not going to question Michael Thomas's effort ever. We're not going to question Alvin Kamara's, you know, uh, effort ever. Nick will. (laughs) Periodically. But uh, the reality is like the, the two ones who were, I guess, in the spotlight the most with either, I guess, I don't want to say lack of effort because it's, you know... Interpret it how you will, but the two who are in the spotlight the most are Derek Carr and Chris Olave. And that those are the two most polarizing figures right now in, in uh, the Saints community yeah. and as far as fans go. And look, man, I see it from both sides. Neither one of them. I'm not going to defend one and then prop up the other one. I'm going to go ahead and tell you neither one of them are doing what the hell they need to be doing. Now, Carr has the more high-profile position on the team. You know, he is the quote-unquote de facto leader, being that he's the quarterback. Yeah. And there's only 32 starting quarterbacks in the world. I you mean, know, at the allegedly, because I would say just because you're starting for an NFL team doesn't even mean you're a starting quarterback. So right. It's, it's a, but it's the, my point is, he is the person who is going to be looked at as the leader. He needs to be the bigger person. He needs to be representing himself and the team better than he is doing. Yeah. That being said... Olave needs to to uh, kick himself in the ass. And look, he said the right things, you know, after the first week where there were issues about his route running and effort on that. Um, you know, he said, look, some people close to me called me out on it. They got me in line. I know what's up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get it going going forward. The problem is that was three games ago. And we're still seeing it didn't work. Like we're still seeing examples of him. And again, I'm not turning this in. I've said my piece on Olave enough this week on Twitter. It, it was probably too much. I'm not saying anything more about his effort. But he needs to kick it in gear. The rest of the offense needs to kick it in gear. Like these offensive linemen, you know, what the hell's going on with, with Penny? When we have people coming off the street who are performing five times better than than uh, the normal offensive line was. Yeah, Cam Irving. Cam Irving I mean, was fantastic well, the other day. Uh, by the way, like Penning, Penning's play as of late made Cam Irving look like uh, one of the best free agent pickups since Demario Davis. You know, yeah, yeah. Like- and look, it, it's it's the whole thing. The offense is broken. And yep. that starts at the top, man. Yep. You know, we're sitting here, we're worried about the the uh the smaller guys in this, and we gotta look at the big picture. The big picture is Dennis Allen, Pete Carmichael, those are the those are the, those guys are the problem yeah. right now. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because it's a good segue. It's, it, you know, because when you- that's what we need to be focusing on as a fan base. We need to be focusing on those two fuckers. Yeah, keep like don't lose the you know be able to see the the trees from the forest. You know, it's like the way Max was talking about Alave, where he said the right things in week one and, or whatever it was, Bucks game. And, you know, here we are, flash forward, we're going into week eight. Uh, It's, you know, I look at everybody saying that Kirk Herbstreit on the national broadcast, when I rewatched it last night, he's just like, you know, it's just Derek Carr and, these guys, you can see that they're still trying to work out the kinks. And I know that Herb Street knows better than to think like, that working out the kinks is still acceptable because it's too far down the road to still have to be working out the kinks. And if you have your primary players, like again, to the car analogy, like your pistons that make that engine run that are not greased up, they're, they're, they're clanking against each other. They're, they're ruining the motor. It's like, it's too late for that. You know, if that shit's still going on at this mile marker, then that that tells you that whoever's responsible for tuning up the car is completely losing and completely fucking that up. And that on offense 
to me is Pete Carmichael or specifically the position coaches or a sum, a sum of the whole. And I know, you know, we said it, uh, Dan on the Saints podcast, Saints City Me podcast said, you know, it's a cop out, but it's not a cop out, you know, because head coaching is what gets, I know these guys are all professionals and grown ass men, but you still have the coaching who is responsible for getting them to do the things that it is they're supposed to be doing. That's not happening right now. Pete Carmichael, you know, that's fine if you're an offensive genius. That's fine if you allegedly can draw up some beautiful schemes and X and O this and X and O that. But when you are promoted to the OC position, whether you wanted it or not, again, it's like Derek Carr. You're the QB. You are the leader, unquestioned, of the, te- of the whole team on the field. You know, you got to suck it up and be a bigger man in that Olave situation. With Pete Carmichael, you, whether you wanted it or not, you got the job, okay? So you are now the head coach of the offense. You need to make sure that every detail under your wing of the team is taken care of. And it's clearly not. And then it goes to Max's point. Above him is DA. Because DA is the guy who wanted Pete there and is just letting him you know, do whatever. I, I'm, whatever. I'm past blaming Carmichael. I'm blaming the guy who put Carmichael in charge. He is the one who is the yeah. issue at the, at the root of all of this. It's Dennis Allen. It's always been Dennis Allen. It's been Dennis Allen since day one. You know, I said it last September. I don't remember what game it was. And it, I put up the hashtag fire Dennis Allen in September. Yeah. Like this motherfucker is not, he's not a leader. He's not a head coach. He is not fit to be running an organization. Yeah, I, I do agree with that too. I, I highlight how bad Carmichael is because exactly what you said, Dennis Allen is the one who put Carmichael in that position and like was insistent that Carmichael be in that position to the point of giving Doug Peterson a Zoom call interview, which is just embarrassing. You know, it's, so a, it's a sham interview. You should almost be fired for that. That's Loomis, alone. though. That's you know, Loomis. That's not Dennis maybe, Allen. Well, then maybe we've got to take a look at Loomis as well. We do. You know, we need to. And, uh, no, no, Nick, Nick has been driving the Loomis is not nearly as good as he as everyone thinks he is trained for like 10 plus years at this point. So. No, no, Pete did do a good job. I think, honestly, you're going to see Penning on the bench if everyone's healthy for the rest of the season. You know, that they are obviously gung-ho on having him sit back, watch, hopefully learn the rest of the season. You know, we're essentially halfway through the season at this point. So I think if everyone's healthy, man, ideally, you got Ramchek at the right tackle once the uh, concussion issue's over. You're going to have Cesar Ruiz at the right guard. Center, obviously, Eric McCoy. Uh, left guard, left tackle, that's where it gets tricky. I think they want to have Hurst at left tackle and Pete at left guard. You know, left tackle seems to be Hurst is more natural position. And obviously, Pete is, you know, as much shit as he's gotten, and we've touched on this over the last few uh, few weeks, you know, Pete is a road grader in the run game. He gets yeah. out in front in, in front of the, uh, the running back in the screen game as well, and he does a great job. You know, he, he has gotten his fair share of flack over the years from the Saints fan base. And honestly, most of it's unwarranted. And we've established that it, it's mainly due to the contract that he got. You know, that's the reason Pete gets so much hate. But the reality is Pete is a good starting left guard in the NFL. And uh, so I think that's what the line would look like. Ideally, Hurst, left to right, Hurst, Pete, McCoy, Ruiz, Ramchek. Honestly, I mean, at this point, I just want to be entertained when I'm watching the games because we have been, you know, it's been three home games so far. And I'm going to tell you, I have had fun at these <laughs> games for a grand total of about six minutes yeah. over the three games. Like, it has been an awful, awful fan experience uh, for the most part watching these games. So, yeah. look, put whatever combination gives us the best chance. To me, that's the one that probably does. You know, Cam Irvin's probably your your uh, your swing guy, your sixth guy. And look, Pete is breaking case of emergency. I'm sorry, not Pete. Uh, Penning is breaking case of emergency only. But, you know, I hate to agree with uh, with something Fletcher puts up, Fletcher Mackle. But when he put up, do we see Pete? Uh, I keep saying Pete. Do we see Penning at guard next year? And I think that's a, a very realistic 
thought. You know, it happened with Robert Gallery, Jesus, what, 10, 15 years ago with the Raiders. He was a highly touted offensive tackle prospect. I think he was the second or third pick in the draft, whatever year it was. You know, people were expecting him to be the next great offensive tackle. He flamed out pretty quickly at the tackle position and they moved him to guard and he became a uh, a serviceable guard. Yeah. So I uh, I think there's a real good chance that we see that happen with Penning. You know, next year wouldn't shock me at all, depending on where our draft pick ends up in the first round, to see an offensive tackle be the first pick. And then you see uh, Penning get the shot to compete at uh, left guard once Pete's gone. Yeah. Um, just for reference, I th- we're, we're trying to get Nick reconnected, but uh, I'll keep it rolling. Uh, is this the part where I bring up the fact that I suggested we trade up and draft an offensive tackle before the draft? And uh, what, what episode was it? I think episode five. Um, but no, I, I I don't think there's any issue with putting Penning at guard. I, I know that when I mentioned it uh, in the pre-draft episode, uh, Nick's first thing was that's a big ass guard. <laughs> you know, and maybe well, maybe I mean, and maybe it is, but not really because he's six foot seven and Andrews Pete is six foot seven. Well, that's so what it's I the same height. We need, y- y'all need to go back and, and listen to my brilliance in, in that pre-draft episode. No, but that's what I said. I said he's a big he's a big guard. That's fine, but he's a big guard. Let him be a big guard. Yeah, who you cares? know. Um, but because at this point we're seeing the alternative and it's not there. Uh, I'll say this on the offensive line: you can tell the difference when Pete was. Uh, in the, you can tell the difference in the run game is what I'm saying. So you're exactly right about Pete being better. Sir, as good as he did on the edge against one of the against Allen, which was impressive. There were a few guys, a few times Allen's gotten by him in the game, but he's done that to pretty much everybody this year, and will do that to everybody this year. But you could see the difference in the run game when we try to run it the normal uh, running lanes that we tried to against uh, when Pete wasn't there at guard. They just weren't there against Jacksonville. The running game, Kamara had a few good runs, sure. But, you know, Pete is better served at guard for running purposes uh, as much of a drop-off as it might be to have Hurst at left tackle. I think it's marginal. But it's not a drop-off right now. That's what I mean. I think if the difference between Pete at left tackle and Hurst at left tackle isn't so significant to where you should not put Pete at left guard. I think you need right. him for the for the run game. Yeah. You probably know better than me. What's the, what's the possibility of Cam playing a tackle position and only playing Hurst or Pete? Cam Irving. Yeah, no, Cam Irving plays he plays all five positions on the yeah. offensive line. That was his so, claim to fame when he got drafted when he was coming out of Florida State. He started at center yeah. and at tackle at FSU. And that was I the whole thing. It's like you can I'm literally saying. put him anywhere. I want yeah, him playing. He looked uh he looked motivated. I mean he just he was I mean, hell, he had rushing yards against the Jags. <laughs> you know, put put him carry. in the fullback. The yards didn't count. <laughs> they pulled it back no, on yeah. him. It took his four yards that, away because it was in the final whatever few minutes of the game. You can't advance it, but well, he definitely got a carry. I, I gotta say, he showed he showed great vision, ball security. Uh, you know, really, really did did well. Yeah, the only the only issue, you know, uh, you know Cam's he's thirty one years old. That's the only problem. It's like I wish he were a little bit younger. Could you know the way he performed? That's one of those guys you definitely bring back for for training camp next year, just to have him competing for uh, for depth. Um, I think he's a fantastic six offensive lineman. You know, and for all intents and purposes, Penning is now the the seventh slash maybe jumbo tight end. The old Zach Streif role. So, yeah. but I don't. I don't think we see Penning again this year unless the injuries get catastrophic, like they were the last two weeks on the offensive line. I agree, hundred percent. I would just like to see him give Cam, you know, a chance at a tackle position and leave Pete or Hurst, whoever they think, inside a guard and just try it because it looked better this week. With and I agree. I don't think Pete. You leave him out there. I'd rather see Ramchek come back and bookend it with Cam on the other side and see if that if we get the same type of production as we did this. So time. you're saying Cam instead of Hurst? Correct. Okay. Yeah, it was better pass pro, especially considering you're going up against Trayvon Walker and and uh, Allen. But yeah, Josh Allen. The running. Yeah, I, I, I'm like, is it really Josh Allen? Yeah, it's Josh Allen. Uh, <laughs> But the the running the running game was much more inconsistent in my mind than uh, past weeks. But then again, you know, if you if you look at if you're talking about the Patriots game, it's not really a factor anymore in terms of a check mark. Yeah. But I'll um, let y'all finish up. I've got to run, so y'all finish it up. Um, all right, man. Enjoy the last week. We'll see y'all on the next one. Later. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think uh, you know. 
the offensive line, it definitely was better this week. I wasn't expecting anything out of them, but in the back of my mind, I kind of had this weird feeling, you know, and you'll remember this in the, uh, in the Super Bowl year when we had, um, we were playing the, uh, the Patriots and our defensive backs were just so banged up. We were signing people off the street. We signed Chris McAllister off the street, basically to, to play a prominent role in that game. And we ended up blowing the Patriots out of the building. You know, yeah. with, these, with these, this ragtag group of defensive backs. So uh, I kind of had a feeling that they would overperform. You know, it is it was Thursday night football. These guys have pride. They are professionals. So um, it was yeah. encouraging to see that. So let's, you know, let's see what happens. I, I just, I, I, we go back to the quarterback. We go back to the coaching. We go back to the, the offensive culture in, in general. You know, there's obviously issues. Like you're looking at, you know, kudos to Kamara for week after week being the, the, the one guy who, who stands in front of the media and honestly answers questions. You yeah. know, when they're asking them, do you feel like the offense has turned the corner? Most people would give you the whole, the standard, you know, oh yeah, you know, we're improving, we're seeing this, we're seeing that. Kamara will look at you and say, no, we haven't turned the corner. Yeah. And I love the honesty of that. You know, to me, he he has exhibited the most leadership ability of anyone on the offense. Um, you know, it's good to see Michael Thomas stepping up as well. Uh, you know, it, it's those two guys have have exhibited the leadership that we need Carr to show. Yeah, and it's just we're not getting it out of Carr. I'll be the first to admit I was dead wrong about Derek Carr and what his performance would be in this offense. Like I thought he could prop up, you know, if we just had decent coaching, I figured he could prop it up and and uh and and bump us up a level. When in the reality is he he can't. You know, he is only as good as his coaching at this point and his coaching is shit. So yeah. the performance we're getting on the field is shit. Yep. Um and you know, just not to harp on it, but every single person on the offense has blood on their hands. Yeah. From the coaches. Starts with the coaches, but it filters down to the players. And I just, while I would love to see everyone play every single snap, like they're Michael Thomas, you know, it's just not going to happen because right. everyone's not wired the way he is. Like, if you look at Michael Thomas, like, and you look at his eyes in the middle of the game, that dude's got the same look in his eyes that Michael Jordan had when they were, uh, when they were in the playoffs or yeah, in a championship it's, game. It's utter, utter and complete focus. He's totally zoned in. Uh, you know, it's, it's like, uh, also mentioned it to Mike and Dan too, like Tiger Woods, you know, for all of his flaws off the course historically. And, you know, he's supposedly turned his life around or whatever. We're not going to get into that. But I saw him once in person at the Bay Hill in Orlando and it, he, you couldn't get inside of his, like, you know, people trying to give him high five. People were trying to say, hey, Tiger, hey, Tiger, hey, Tiger. The guy was just so zoned in, you know, and I, I bring up his reference because like you could actually get within a few feet of him on a golf course. You can't get within two or three feet of Drew Brees or Mike Thomas. And so when you see an ultimate competitor in any sport, in the history of sports, like Tiger Woods, and you can just see how zoned in he is. And you could you can compare that, I think, uh, to the way Mike Thomas gets zoned in. You can compare it to the way that Brees was zoned in back in the day. And, uh, you know, and we, we, you're right. We can't have every single guy like that. But I still think it's not too much to ask that it be more than two. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it, it, Carr needs it or even, you know, half of it. I don't think he has even half of that right now. And like I said with Carr, I think the biggest issue with Derek Carr, and it might be the same issue with Olave, is that those two guys are way too much in their own heads. Uh, they're overthinking everything clearly. And it, it, they just need to play. I mean, just go out there and play ball and and and, and screw what everybody else thinks. Screw worrying about screwing it up. You know, they're they're playing like they're scared to fail instead of just playing with reckless abandon. Yeah, and I think a big thing right now is look, we're we're all frustrated. As a fan base, and I, I think I can definitively speak for the entire Saints fan base when I say this, we're all frustrated. Yeah. We're not all on the same page because you know, all of us have our dogs in the in the race and we're picking sides and you know, which is never really a good thing. And yeah. I'm just as guilty of it as everybody else. But the reality is we are all frustrated. We know the players are frustrated. The coaches are frustrated. The front office is frustrated. 
Um, but we've got to, I think we just need to really turn our focus on what the bigger issue is. And the bigger issue to me, it's Dennis Allen. Yeah. Dennis Allen should not be in charge of a team, you know, and, and it's like, as far as like my comments on Olave or tweets on Olave, like, look, I'd love, I love Chris Olave coming out. I was, as it's one of the, the four or five times the Saints actually picked a player I wanted in the first round. You yeah. know, some of the other times being Reggie Bush, Ricky Williams, Dante Stallworth, uh, Malcolm Jenkins, you know, and it, this is, I was beyond excited. And it, it just, it frustrates me because I can look at him and see that he has the talent to be one of the, the 10 best receivers in football, you know, but there's just some little things he's got to clean up. And look, it's, it's, it's part of it is a maturity thing. You know, Zion gets so much flack from the national media and the local, the local fan base, you know, when the reality is we, we drafted the Pelicans drafted him when he was what, 18 years old, 19 years old. Yeah. And it's, we got to realize, and I, I look, I need to realize it as well, that Olave is a 22, 23 year old kid. You know, he's not going to have it figured out in year two. And I remember the old saying used to be, you had to give a wide receiver three years to, to really find themselves and hit their stride. Um, I think nowadays, since we've seen people, you know, make it to the NFL and they hit it right away and they've adapted quicker than they used to, we're expecting more out of these guys than, uh, than we should. Yeah. That being said, I really want, I, I, I want to see the effort level that I see out of Mike Thomas, you know, on, on every play, whether the ball's going to him or not. And I'm talking about Olave, you know, yeah. same thing with everybody else on the offense. Like, I feel like Shahid, you know, I don't, I never question his, I don't question his effort ever, or it's just, you know, with him, it's, it's simple, nuances of learning how to play wide receiver i mean let's be right. real the guy played at a division you know two school yeah definitely doesn't have the same pedigree the same right like- you know olave came from a wide receiver factory at ohio state you know just go down the line of these guys that were high first round picks and you got another another two of them coming out in the draft next year who are probably both going to be first round picks you know there's i think there's five or six of them that have been first round picks over the last three years and it's just the bar is so high expectation wise for him. Yeah. And we've seen glimpses of it. Right. You know, and my comments about trading him was more from a standpoint of when we get to the point of having to pay him twenty five to thirty million dollars a year, I worry about paying that to someone who who's six feet tall, about hundred and eighty five pounds soaking wet, is not good on contested catches. It's not his game, admittedly. You know, he's uh in theory is supposed to be a supreme route runner. Um, you know, more of a, a Marvin Harrison type. And I was just, I just want to see him so badly. I want to see him come out and just dominate people and do what he should be doing. You know, he should be putting up eight catches a week for 130, 140. I mean, that's not out of the realm of possibility for him, especially yeah. when you got Shahid on the other side, you got Michael Thomas roaming in the middle, you got Alvin Kamara, you know, it's just ex- my expectations for him are so high. And I think it's just a frustration level of watching this offense. but. I know I need to redirect my frustration to Dennis Allen because again, at the end of the day, you got to blame the person who's in charge. You know what I mean? Like if you go to, to, to target and your, your cashier is an asshole to you, you're going to be pissed at the cashier, but it's like the reality is you should be pissed at the person who hired and quote unquote trained the cashier. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's perplexing with Olave because you saw him do so well with guys like uh, Jameis or Andy Dalton in a QB. And well, look, he had he had his issues. He, he, you know, he, he couldn't he hasn't done well with contested catches. Well, ever. But he and that's con- been a knock on him coming out. Right. But I never questioned his effort last year. Right. But it was like the issues were contested catches. They weren't like, oh, he's out of position or he's not finishing routes or he's, right. he's right. even but if we knew he had to get stronger. Yeah. Even if he's the, the guy who just streaks down the field and the ball's never going to him, like you never worry about him slowing up. So it's just perplexing as to what's going on. I mean, maybe the easy answer is that there's just something about his chemistry with Carr. There is none. There's no chemistry. Well, yeah, that, or, yeah or lack thereof, as opposed to, you know, maybe Andy Dalton was one of these guys who's just a lot more, uh, you know, simple in his approach and, you know, black and white and is like, yeah, man, that's the play. Let's run the play. Whereas Derek Carr obviously comes with his frills where you, you can see how intense he was that mic'd up episode from the Titans game where he's very much, uh, you know, in the players' faces, she run, effing run, uh, 
maybe that's not Olave's cup of tea, but either way, again, you're a professional and you know, you need to just roll with that stuff. Um, but, uh, no, but it goes back, it goes back to this. Um, they need to figure that shit out on offense, but the team as a whole, just, it, it just looks like it lacks, it lacks leadership, you know, uh, Demario's doing his job on the defense as a player, as a player leader, yes. But I'm talking more about the way the team is run in general. Uh, you know, it's it, you can just see there's not the same like march in unison of guys like there was under Sean Payton. And this isn't a Sean Payton versus Dennis Allen. It's just that you know you see that same like unified approach. Everybody's marching in unison, everybody's pushing the same direction rowing the same direction. You see that with other coaches around the league. I mean shit, you saw with you see with Doug Peterson who who just beat us. Um I don't I don't see that out of DA. I see him wanting to say the right things and trying to say the right things. But, you know, talk is cheap. The things that he's doing, like the way he didn't just bench penning, uh the way he's making these uh he's throwing his receiver under the bus at a press conference to make himself look better. Uh, saying, yeah, that wasn't the route that was supposed to be run. But we found out it was, it was the route that was supposed to be run. He just didn't run it the right way, you know, or staff decision on why Jimmy Graham's not being there. You know, it's well, he's deflecting responsibility. It, that's what I mean. It's just not, they're not indicative of a guy who should be running this ship. And, you know, when I've talked, when I've talked with people who are like, what do you mean just, you're just going to can him? Like, who else do we hire? I'm like, literally anybody. I mean, people would kill for this job as a head coach. Yeah. And, you're talking about an ownership group that will literally keep you around forever if you just show right. a shred of competence. The bottom line with DA, you, you, we can overanalyze it. We can get into the, the nitty gritty. But the bottom line is he's 18 and 42 as a head coach. He has had his chances. Okay. He keeps saying, we're working hard. You know, I haven't done a good enough job or I've got to do a better job. Uh, we got to get this fixed. It's like, no, you have had the chance to get it fixed. Yeah. You have not gotten it fixed. Uh, and it's not just this season. It goes back to last year. We have seen enough of a sample size. Uh, you know, and everybody said like, oh, well, his record is really just indicative of his days at the Raiders. Well, his record's not good enough here. Okay. What he has done here is not good enough with what he has at his disposal. Um, and so. It, <sighs> well, we need to stop comparing him to Sean Payton and we need to stop comparing every quarterback we have. To Drew well, that's Brees, what I'm, but that's those what I'm, two were. We're never going to have another player yeah. the caliber of Drew Brees at any position. And so, like, let's just get over it. Stop pining over the girl who who broke up with you. <laughs> he's gone. He's not coming it's, back. Same yeah. thing with Sean Payton. It's time. You know, like, let's stop doing this cosplay Sean Payton offense. Get someone new in charge in the building, and let's start everything fresh yeah and, and then the other thing people bring up because i agree i mean that's why i say there's you see other coaches around the league even younger coaches i mean mike mcdaniel and gotta love him you know that whole team is bought in you know and and i'm sorry dennis allen putting uh me or team over me on a t-shirt it that's not gonna do it okay that's nice it's nice and all it, it reinforces a good message but but you got to do a little bit more than a t-shirt uh, to to get the message across. I mean, it's not like us where we have the fire Dennis Allen t-shirts to get the message across. That's a good way to get the message across. But the only one other thing I want to add is that some people say, well, but he's too good of a defensive coach. Our defense has been better than it's ever been. You know, what do you, you're just going to get rid of that. And it's like, well, yes, that's the price to play, you know, because yes, it has been an amazing defense compared to the defenses we've had before. But look, DA ain't the only uh, defensive coach out in the league. Uh, there, there very well may be other guys who could do it, but I think it's also because we have good talent as well. You know, uh, you bring in a good defensive mind. Shit, bring in Aaron, Aaron Glenn. He might want to come back to New Orleans, but maybe not as lateral. I, I don't want uh, a defensive-minded head coach. I want an offensive-minded oh, th- head coach. That's what I mean. I, yeah. Glenn probably wouldn't come back. He's as, not coming back from a lateral, lateral position. It's but, uh, head coach or bust. But there's other, you know, assistant defensive coaches that could do what Allen has done on the defense, and you bring in a better offensive mind. You know, everybody's going to be after Ben Johnson, but I think he is a, you got to look for the type of guy that galvanizes people. You just have to. And and Dennis Allen, he ain't doing it. People want to play for him. They love him. But you're Mike Thomas saying like, I want to do it for DA. I want to do it for DA. And 
Mike Thomas is a DA defender, but honestly, I think Mike Thomas might defend anybody who's his head coach. He's just that type of guy. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, at the, I think we are, I think, I, I know we're in agreement that, you know, my only question to you for clarification, are, do you want, are you ready to say, get rid of him right now? And just just start the process midseason, or are you saying there? It just I would absolutely start it midseason. Okay, right now he, so, he would have been gone already. So I think, but it's not going to happen. You know, Nick said that we we all agree. On yeah, that. It it, there will not be the Saints organization is not the type to to do something like that midseason. What's going to happen is we'll finish out the season. You know, they'll they'll do their quote unquote evaluations of the coaching staff along with the players. And then we'll probably have them for another goddamn season because we'll somehow finish, you know, seven and uh, ten, somewhere between seven and ten, eight and nine, somewhere in that range, and be a game or two. We'll be like we'll be in contention for the NFC South until that last week of the season. Like it would not shock me if that final game against the Falcons gets flexed to Sunday Night Football and it's for the NFC South. I'll put it this way: we've talked about Loomis. Um, and just the whole ownership group in general. If they let him slide, they're going to without winning the division. They're going to. It's a mom and pop operation. We, yeah. We've touched on this. It's a, it's a it's a good old boys like hey you know we're friends with this guy, and nothing is going to change with that. Yeah. We There's, just for Loomis, we just need to hope he decides to step away and it's time to go pass the torch to someone else and he can just go go retire somewhere. As far as Da, I hate to say it, it's probably going to take. Him being here for another couple of games in, in the 2024 season, starting off like 0-4, 0-5, and, and, and then maybe then they pull the trigger. But um, yeah. you know what? Honestly, we've, we've, we've gone on this enough, I think, for this episode. Yeah. No, all I was going to say was that if, if they'd let him slide, I think that's when we seriously have to call for Loomis's head because that's just it's – un, it's inexcusable if you don't let him go if we don't win the division. Yeah, that's I, all agree I, was gonna say. I agree with that. But so. Uh, yeah, so that's going to wrap up this episode. We'll be back in a couple of days with a preview for the next week's game. Until then, fire Dennis Allen. Buy the shirts. Do that. What a comeback!